We have just a couple of more weeks left in our church vitality series, and for this morning we are going to take a look at a passage that uh, seems um, like a uh, stereotypical Sunday school passage of what seems like a silly story, but as we open it up, the depths of it, it is um, an amazing challenge and blessing. It is the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus, and it's in Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 1 through verse 10. Listen now to the Word of God. He, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down, for I, have, I must stay at your house today. So he heard and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word. Guide us as we consider it, consider what it means for our lives, ourselves. Guide my words, guide all of our hearts and minds before, as we stand before your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus always surprises. This time, the surprise is is who he's here for. We we are in the middle of the church vitality work and and the visioning process, and, and a good portion of that work is considering who we are here for. And we've been referring through this series as we've been doing this to Rick Warren's phrase for the pursuit of vitality and vision for a church for a mission, he said, he, he said the great, there's a great commandment to the great, com, a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission make a great church. And Warren famously in his church work focused on this question and on the question of who we're called to serve. And he encourages folks to look around and see the people that they're looking to reach out to. And, and design ministry that, that, that best is the best way to reach people from wherever they're at. 
And in many regards, the New Testament did this, did ministry the same way. The images of Paul, the images that Paul used to, to drive the gospel home were different depending on where he was, if, whether he's talking in a synagogue to the Jews or in Mars Hill to the pagans. The gospel was the same, but the medium, the, 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 the images, what works is different. Warren's church, Saddleback, named after the community it's in, is a fairly homogeneous community. And, and so they look at the characteristics of Saddleback Sally and Saddleback Sam and design ministries to reach them. Now, I've been on, in churches and on, even on staffs, and I've seen many ministries decide who they're going to focus their efforts on. And if they're a church plant, they can do it from scratch, and it's a little bit easier. Most churches, by default, though, we design ministries to reach those who look pretty much like who's already there. And that's a challenge when the neighborhood has changed around us. It, but it's a natural way to, to design things. Who do we know better than ourselves? I've also seen ministries which, which very consciously decided to go to those who have something to offer them, people who are wealthy and can be good givers, big donors, people who look good and are popular, beautiful people who would, who would attract other people, people who in one fashion or another can contribute to the strength and popularity of the organization, and it, it seems like a pretty good strategy. Somehow, though, graciously for us, it's not Jesus' strategy. He always surprises. We live in an economic society. We are here for those with money, and we serve them. We serve people who have money so that we can be people who have money, and then people can serve us. But we don't always like the people with money. Some we admire for how they earned it by their genius and hard work. I mean, Steve Jobs starting a computer company in his friend's parents' garage and making it the, the biggest company in the world. Or even Bill Gates for recognizing what the biggest company in the world didn't and that money would be in the software, not in the hardware. And now he uses a great deal of his money for, to make the world a better place, and that's wonderful. But when we run across someone who has made their money in unseemly ways, wow, boy, there's no one we despise more than that. When someone has grown their wealth through others' poverty, they are the worst of the worst. Who did Jesus go after? Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. And while Zacchaeus was wealthy, it, it, it certainly is not why Jesus was looking for him. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. It's only about 10 days before he's going to die on the cross. Zacchaeus' wealth is not what Jesus was after. Zacchaeus is notable because he was from literally the most hated group in, in society. I've, I've heard of tax collectors today who avoid the question when they're asked where they work by simply saying they, they work for the government so that they can just 
leave it up to people's imaginations. Maybe they're something cool like spies. We wouldn't so much like to hear that they take our taxes and audit us. But Zacchaeus, that, this is a whole other level of hate. Tax collectors were people who betrayed their own people group to work with the oppressing empire of Rome. And they would collect Rome's exorbitant and painful tax. But they were empowered to, to get as much as they could from people and, and whatever they could get, gather from people beyond Rome's share, they could keep it for themselves. And they became like mob figures going around businesses and individuals, shaking them down. They, they'd say it was a protection fee, but they'd be protecting them from themselves and from sending an army against them. So the Jews, the Jews despised them. He's worse than all the others that Jesus had fraternized with and that they told stories about. He's worse than the, the, the prostitutes and the unrespectable women. He's worse than that son who disrespected and shamed his father and took his wealth and squandered it, even though that's just a story that Jesus was telling. He's worse than those Romans, the centurions, the lepers, the possessed people, the Samaritans, everyone who's so unclean. It turns out Jesus had been talking with and about a whole bunch of disreputable people. But Zacchaeus and the other tax collectors, like Matthew, these are the worst. And the Romans, Romans didn't have any respect for him either because they'd betrayed their own people. They are simply left with their money and nothing else, no community that could stand them whatsoever. But Zacchaeus wants to see this guy coming by, to see who he is. Everybody's heard about him by now. It's hard to imagine why Zacchaeus is so anxious to see him that he would climb a tree. But he, he just has to know. It, it reminds me of some people you hear about, like, like Lee Strobel, who may think that this Christianity stuff is all a crock, all some made-up bunch of hooey that is just trying to control people because people are going to believe anything. And so they begin to investigate who this Jesus guy is themselves, and they run into him. So Zacchaeus, he gets up the tree. For virtually all the world, religion Salvation and life is about being and having enough, good enough, smart enough, beautiful enough, rich enough, right enough, better than others enough. It's about us and what we can make of ourselves, making enough of ourselves. And the way that looks, it, it changes over time, but the principle doesn't. 50 or 100 years ago, for, and for a 1,000 years before that, we just needed to be good enough. That's what the world's narrative was. Good enough so that our moral strength outweighed our sin. And in, in some sort of balance, we'd pass the test. We'd be good enough. Now the cultural narrative has changed, but the principle hasn't. Now it isn't about sin and being good enough. Our world honestly doesn't want to hear about sin. 
The measure has changed, but the principle hasn't, especially for youth and kids growing up. It's about image. It's about identity, building for ourselves an identity. And it's about your brand on Instagram or TikTok and and having followers, or it's about having the right views on the issues of the day. Depending on where you are, you don't want to get canceled by either the right or the left. You got to be enough of something. Either way, 50 years ago or today, the pressure of what you make of yourself is overwhelming. And and by the standards of the day, people believe themselves to know who's in and who's out, who's enough. And ultimately, those who believe themselves to be in are in some form or fashion, kind of like the Pharisees. They believe themselves to be good enough or more than good enough. You know what? Those people, they're not climbing any trees to see Jesus. Zacchaeus, by any standard of any day, is out. Knowing that about himself, he climbs the, seat, the tree to see Jesus. The message of the gospel is simply that salvation, meaning, purpose, life, it is not achieved. It is received. Keller said this about this passage in Zacchaeus climbing the tree. He says, therefore, Christian salvation is not a matter of following rules or pushing buttons. You have to know who Jesus is. Salvation is coming to rest in what he has done for you. That's what Christianity is, and therefore, essentially, what does it mean to define salvation? You have to see who Jesus is. You have to get in a position where you see who he is. How do you do that? Zacchaeus could climb a tree. You have to read your Bible. I would add that you need to have a witness to Jesus who could come and tell you and point you and show you salvation in him. So then, with Zacchaeus in the tree looking for Jesus, this is what happens. Jesus, out of all the throbbing crowd, singles Zacchaeus out behind everyone else. He points to him out in the tree behind everyone, and he calls out his name, Zacchaeus. It's not that Zacchaeus called out to Jesus. It's that Jesus calls out Zacchaeus and invites himself into Zacchaeus' life over to his house. Now, think of the reactions here. Think of the locals who know who this Zacchaeus guy is. He is the worst of the worst. It's as if you can see all their jaws drop when Jesus singles him out. You can just imagine a throbbing crowd, loud, crying out for Jesus, and then they hear Jesus call out to Zacchaeus, and it suddenly becomes silent. What? You can imagine what kind of scolding or smoting they're expecting Jesus to do when he calls out Zacchaeus. It's going to be like a super action hero taking down the villain. That's not what they get. 
Jesus does the worst thing that you can do with a piece of filth like Zacchaeus. He invites himself over to stay with him. He goes right into his life. It's not like he just talks with him for a moment. He, he initiates an opportunity for a whole relationship to be built. This is like Billy Graham asking John Gotti or Osama bin Laden for an opportunity to stay with them and maybe become friends. To the locals, they've, they've come to trust Jesus and they've seen this behavior over and over again. And it's always troubled them. And this may be the worst, the most extreme example of all. This flies in the face of all their religion and everything they know about the way things they should be, about the whole enough thing. This is going to take some time to process. I imagine it's one of the factors that led this same crowd to turn on him in a week so that they would soon be yelling, crucify him. Right now, they don't know what to think. They, they can't figure it out. They just think it's wrong, and they're picking their jaws up off the floor. But also think of Zacchaeus' reaction. You can see it in this passage. He may have been extravagantly wealthy, but he wasn't liked by anybody. Can you imagine what it's like to be universally hated? And then the one that everyone wants to have a piece of the celebrity of the moment, even though he knows all about you, he wants to spend time with you. Years ago, I heard a story about Michael Jordan. When he was at the height of his fame, he literally was the most famous person in the world. People in Africa would have known him over the president of the time. The most famous person in the world, and, and he had a, a, a normal drive home. And it would be either after practice or after games. But along that drive, there was a kind of a run-down neighborhood. And in it, there was a, basketball, a run-down old basketball court. And one day, he saw a bunch of kids playing on the court. And he pulled over in his Lamborghini and got out and started playing some hoops with them. And they started doing this regularly, all the time. Can you imagine what it would be like to be this young Chicago kid with nothing, and suddenly you're playing hoops all the time with Michael Jordan on your court. This is the most famous person in the world. Can you imagine how they felt? Zacchaeus takes the one thing he has, that which, he's, that which he has given up everything else for, his money, and he gives it away. He makes it right. It's almost like Abraham offering up his only son. Who is Jesus here for? Not, not for the wealthy, the good-looking, the morally upright, the really religious, the really woke, or the really right. Anyone who's made enough of themselves to be satisfied it does not say that he came to seek and to save the really good person or the one that will make the church stronger or the one who has skills or personality or lots of friends and influence. He came to seek and to save the lost. 
What Zacchaeus saw when he saw Jesus, when he heard Jesus call out his name, is that he was lost, and now he is found. He wasn't looking for salvation, and he didn't find Jesus, but Jesus singled him out and found him. He's here for the lost. Keller goes on to say, it's not just that anyone can come, but only anyone's can come. It's not just that even the unrespectable can find Jesus. In a certain sense, only the unrespectable can find Jesus. Only the ones who know they're in the same condition as Zacchaeus. And this is what Jesus does for Zacchaeus. He gives him an identity. It's not earned, but given and understood to be the identity of those who are saved and loved by God as his chosen children. Elsewhere in the New Testament, we see that this is not an identity given by birthright, but through a saving relationship with Jesus, Jesus who died for us. And when we are called the sons and daughters of Abraham, the children of the one who was given the promise, the promise of blessing to all nations, the blessing that is fulfilled in the salvation of Jesus Christ, when we believe that, we are, like Zacchaeus, the children of Abraham. First thing we need to do is decide who are we in this story. We're not Jesus, we got that. Are we the crowd? We're, we're there to see Jesus, maybe to try to get something from him, but, but how do we react when we see Jesus single out Zacchaeus among all of us to establish a relationship with who do we think Jesus should, Jesus should be associating with? Who do we think we should be associating with? And who do we think the church should be associating with? And the answer we have will tell us if we are the crowd. Are we Zacchaeus? There is one characteristic of those Jesus came for that the church is here for. It is people who know that enough is never enough. You can be beautiful or rich or powerful or, or really, really good, but it's never enough. He's not here for good people, beautiful, attractive people, or wealthy people. The funny thing, God does not need any of that from us. Jesus is ten, in 10 days is going to be on the cross. There's nothing he's looking for from people. And that would be transformed, but that they would be transformed by him, his presence, his attention, his love, and his salvation. The one characteristic of those Jesus came for is that we are lost. And the characteristic of people who are capable of reaching other people for Christ is not that we are good or talented or 
great personalities or wealthy and, and able to manage some programs. The characteristic is that we are people who are lost but have heard Jesus call our names and come and stay with us. Just, I think I might have told this story before, but just out of seminary for two years, I worked with homeless kids in Houston and New York. And while I was working through the ordination process, and while I was in Houston, I visited First Presbyterian Church, Houston. And it is a, a wonderful, solid church. And after I visited them, a group of three people came and knocked on my door and visited me. And I welcomed the, them in, and, and I sat down, and I was, I was so excited to tell them all my good Presbyterian credentials. I had just graduated from Princeton Seminary, and I was on the track of ordination. And I will never forget their response. But do you know Jesus? <laughs> the president of Princeton Seminary, the year before I got there, gave a famous opening address. And he's, he was an evangelical pastor. And he said that the biggest problem in the church today is unconverted pastors, leaders who don't know Jesus. The first and only quality, the only requirement of anyone doing ministry, especially outreach in a church, is that they themselves have heard Jesus call their name. They know they're not enough. They know they're lost, but they are found in Him. They know their identity is not achieved, but it's received in Him, from Him, and their salvation is from Him. And then all we do is share Jesus with others. With other lost people, we simply introduce Jesus, whom has come to live with us. Let's pray. Lord, there is so much pressure to be enough, to have enough, to do enough, to know enough. God, Thank you for your good news, the good news that you come and show in your Son, Jesus Christ, that the God of all has sent his own Son to be enough for us, to do enough for us, to even die for us. And God, all that pressure is relieved because now our identity is not achieved, but we receive it from you, that we are the sons and daughters of Abraham when we trust in you. And that, Lord, is more, more than we could ever hope or imagine. And it's not because of anything that we can brag about but it's because of your love and your grace and your goodness that would call out even Zacchaeus and even me. God, thank you. May we live as those 
who, who are identified by your grace and goodness in our lives, in everything that we have and are. For God, we stand amazed at your love, your steadfast love that never ceases, and your mercies that never come to an end. We see it all as we look at Jesus and hear him call our name. God, thank you for your word. Guide us in it as we seek to live for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.